Well, good morning. It's good to have everybody here with us today. I know it's a little chilly outside. It uh, feels good inside, doesn't it? Uh, we're so happy to have you here, and I know it's been a kind of a busy week. You guys had an extra day off this week, which was not supposed to happen, but it was fun, I'm sure, for everybody. Uh, if you're in Kidmo, I'm going to let you head on back. If you're our guest and you have a second through fifth grader, we have our second through fifth graders stay in here with us for worship, uh, for the time of music. We, the whole service is worship, but for music and singing, and then they go back to their own environment where they do small groups and have their time of teaching and some games and stuff. So uh, if you've got a second through fifth grader and you're a guest, you're welcome to go back and check them out. Before I get started, a couple of things. I just wanted to say thank you for a few people. Um, yesterday, we celebrated Jake's 16th birthday. It's actually today. We should all have a rousing song of happy birthday, but he would kill me later. But you can do that privately in the hallway immediately after the service if you'd like. It'd be a lot of fun. Thanks for everybody that came out. We're starting a new series called The Body, or Be the Body. And the whole purpose of this series is to talk about what is the church. And, and one of those expressions for our family is, is exactly what happened yesterday. Many of the, in the youth group were there and youth leaders and uh, many of you that just are a part of our lives. And we're just so thankful that we as broken people have a place to belong and for that you can belong with us and that you can help us as we raise our children. We can help you as you raise yours and we can do life together. So I just want to thank you all of you who participated in that. And for all of you that are going to sing happy birthday to him very loudly in the hallway after, I want to thank you for that as well. Um, Also, I know Wayne and Richard put a lot of time in this week, putting a new lighting system in, and uh, you normally don't see those things. And and usually if they go well, you don't even know they happen. So I appreciate the time they put in and uh, the the ability we're going to have to do some additional things with that moving forward. Um, Last week, I shared with you our goal for 2017, and our goal for 2017 is not something that you haven't heard before from us. However, what we're challenging you is to really work with us to step up all that we do, step it up a notch. Now, our purpose is not that we can have the best place to go to worship on Sunday mornings, because that place already exists in Chattanooga, and we're probably not it. We're not trying to be the place where you can go and have the very best experience you can possibly have. What we do want to be is an authentic representation of the body of Christ in this area. And in doing so, whenever we invest in ministries here, when we invest in ministries outside of these walls, when we participate in things like Room in the Inn or 1040 Connections or any number of other things that we participate in, what we are doing is attempting to take the gospel from our minds and our hearts and share it to a group of people around us that may not know that. And we believe ultimately that the purpose of the church and that the purpose of life is to know Christ and to let other people know him as well. And so that is our hope and that is our purpose. Now, as I mentioned last week, what I know is that most of you do not have a lot of free time. And I know that When I look at myself in the mirror, I don't have a lot of free time. When someone comes and asks for more time for something I'm not always doing, I'm not always receptive to that. And so I understand that, and and we're not trying to to get you to spend all your time here at Journey, but what we want to do is we want to share a vision that you can invest what God has given you to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. That is what the church is. The purpose of the body of, of Christ is to go out and to give of ourselves as Christ gave to us so that they can know the truth. They can 
no freedom. They can no hope. And so that is our purpose for this series, is not just to talk about ways that we do that as Journey Church, because that is really just a portion of what it means to be a part of the body. You, as a follower of Jesus, are already a part of the body of Christ. Whether you attend at Journey, whether you attend church at another place, being a part of the body of Christ is not dependent on where you sit for a sermon or where you stand and sing. It is a not where we go, it is who we are, and it is a part of what we have experienced through Christ. So I'm going to be sharing lots of different aspects over the next few weeks, and we're going to have some of our, our other teachers going to be sharing as well during this series. Um, but before we move on, I want you, if you've got a Bible, to turn to John chapter 3. Uh, if you don't, you've got a smartphone, you can follow along on Uversion. Uversion is a great tool, whether you use it daily. I know many of you use it daily for reading plans or just reading Scripture on your, your phone or your tablet, your laptop, whatever. Um, but we also, you can log in and you can follow a lot of my notes. Not all my notes are on there, but most of my notes that, I, that you can have, you can save those and send them to yourself or somebody else, and you can follow along. Looking at John chapter 3, this is really one of our favorite chapters of Scripture. Now, you may or may not recognize John chapter 3 outside of one verse, but it is rich, rich with what it looks like to be made new. Even though we've seen this video that, that we just watched, uh, we've seen it before, I wanted to show it again because I know within my life, God took me and made me into something new. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, God took you where you were, and he made you into something new. Now, most of us would probably at some point in our lives think that we were the best thing going, and other people would be lucky to be us. Let's be honest. At some point, we thought that. But it didn't take long before the world showed us that we probably weren't all that awesome. And honestly, what the Holy Spirit does with many people is it pushes them to the point of recognizing whenever we inflate ourselves of who we are and how important we think we are, the Holy Spirit is there to remind us we do not compare to a creative God. And our need is huge. And ultimately, we are broken, ugly people that are in need of a Savior. And when He gets His hands on us and when we give our lives to Him, He turns us into something new something beautiful, and something different. Now, it would be great if every single person in the world felt the need to know Jesus. But you know as well as I do, that is not the case. Some of you are already investing in friends and family members, and you are praying daily, and you are looking for opportunities to share with them how important Jesus is, and you're just hoping, hoping that they will get a glimpse of how wonderful this life is, and that they will, for themselves, choose this. Unfortunately, even in our nation, where you are, have access to spiritual things everywhere, you can pick up a Bible in most any place that, that sells books at all. You can listen online. You can buy CDs. You can go to a church. In, at least in the South, it's on every corner. There are lots of opportunities for us to know. We can be surrounded and inundated with the gospel and yet still not see it. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about today. What does it really mean to become a part of the body? Because we can understand some aspects. 
I want to be saved from hell. I want to go to heaven. I don't want my sins to, to, to follow me. I don't want God to judge me. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons we can say, but what you may not know is that supernaturally there is something amazing that happens when a person gives their life to Christ. And when you see what God has done to be active within your life, you may see your life a little bit differently. Let's look at John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus was a big guy in the world of Jewish culture. It says he was a ruler. He was a teacher. He was someone that knew the law He knew the prophecies, the prophecies had foretold of the need of a Messiah and that the Messiah would be coming. He knew all that he should know. And yet he was curious by what Jesus did. See, whenever we come across somebody, my guess is you have had somebody in your life that demonstrated really what it means to be a Christian, to know God. And there was something attractive about that, wasn't there? I hope there was something attractive because at some point you decided to pursue that. Otherwise, you could be at the gym this morning. You could be at home in bed. You could be streaming the next season of whatever on Netflix. You could be doing anything, but you're here. At some point, I'm assuming and I'm hoping you have seen somebody that has been alive in God that was contagious. That we said, I want that. That's what I want to be. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, and some of you did, and some of you didn't grow up in the church. I had wonderful examples from my parents, and I was so inundated in church that I really wasn't interested in God. I felt that all of religion was really the point of who God was, and it was okay, and it was fine, and I spent a lot of time every week there. But I wasn't sure it was something I was really interested in. When I was in school, and especially when I moved into high school, everybody hates middle school. You kind of block out that time, right, guys? Yeah. You kind of block out middle school. I got into high school. I I found the group that I thought, I'm going to be in with this group. This is my ticket to having friends, and this is my ticket to wherever I can, you know, really be somebody in the school, and I can hang out with people, and this is my group. However, my group that I chose weren't all that great of a group. Has anybody else done that? Sometimes we hang out with the people we think are going to add to our lives, and instead what they do is they take away from us. And along the way, I began to struggle because all that I had experienced growing up in the church and what it looked like to know God and the peace and the joy and the hope, the love and the care for each other that we were supposed to experience, I found my group didn't do that. Now, sometimes we can hold people to too high of a standard and When you're in high school, a bunch of high school boys aren't necessarily going to be the most caring, nurturing group of people you're going to be hanging out with. But it was different. I I found myself having to do things I normally wouldn't do in order to fit in. And I, I found myself making changes in who I was. I found myself sacrificing what I believed to be true and good because this was my group. I had chosen this group. I wanted to be with this group. And the church thing was cool, but I just... I don't know. I've just seen it all my life, and I know it'll be there one day, but right now, that's not where I am. And it was in those moments that my conscience or 
what I would learn later was the Holy Spirit working on me, saying, Mark, this is not the way to where you want to go. You're looking for acceptance. You're looking for love and care. You're looking for friends that are true friends. You're looking for relationships that are about something more than just themselves. That's not going to be found anywhere outside of me. And I remember I went through that for a couple of years in high school, and finally I was like, I can't keep doing this. I was trying my best to not let my parents see what I was getting involved with, and some of you know exactly how that feels. And finally I said, God, I can't do this anymore. See, Nicodemus was a guy who was in the middle of everything. He was in the middle of Jewish culture. He felt exactly what it was like in order to know all the truth about God that could be known, and yet... There was something in Jesus that he had never seen before. Even though he knew all the teachings, there's something about someone who truly knows God because a person who truly knows God is contagious. Because knowing God is meant to be the purpose of your and my life. A person who knows God is contagious. See, what I had struggled with in high school is that I really wanted, as best as I could, I really wanted to be somebody. I really wanted to experience what my purpose in this world was. And over and over, the Holy Spirit continued to say, Mark, your purpose cannot be found outside of me. And unfortunately, many people, and maybe some of you this morning, they will attend church and they will go through all these things in their lives, and yet they'll never find the thing that they're looking for. But a person who knows God is contagious because knowing God is meant to be the purpose of our lives. There are many things that we've tried over the years and that you've tried to make the purpose of our lives. Some of you have wonderful families. I watch you with your kids. I watch you with your parents. I watch you with your siblings. And you just, you guys have so much fun. We are such a boring family at our house at At home, we don't really show you all the things that happen at home. We're a little crazy at home, but whenever we come out in public, we're very boring. But some of you are not boring in public. And we look at you and we go, that's the kind of family we need to be. But sometimes our family becomes our priority on top of everything else, and that is not meant to be the purpose for our lives. It is meant to be a purpose, but not the purpose. Sometimes it's relationships, other times it's our job, our career, it's climbing the ladder, it's getting to that place where I know I've arrived. And often what happens once you become an adult and you're working in the workforce and you're struggling through your job and all the things you have to do, you just keep thinking about one day I'll retire. And then by the time you retire, then you know you enter into that terrible world of where you think, oh, what are we going to do today? I don't know. We, we went to the store and... I think that's a full day, right? Because you get tired when you get older. I've watched that in my own parents, and it's kind of fun to watch. My parents were runners. I mean, not runners. They didn't literally run. If my mother ever ran, she would probably break something. But they would go and go and go. And now, at, as they're enter, you know, entering later years of their life, it's hard to go and go and go. And sometimes when I'm praying and I'm, Talking with God, I think, God, man, one day I can't wait until I get to rest and soak everything in. But right now, it's just go, go, go. And I don't know if you're like me, but there are days that that thought comes to my mind and I just say, God, can I have that now and not later when I'm too tired to enjoy it? 
And I don't know, I don't have the answer for that. Other than the fact that there are times in my life I recognize I have placed something as a purpose for life that God never intended. And I give up the things God really wanted for me to pursue that instead. There are many times that we pursue that with someone that we think is going to be our significant other. And we believe if I just find the one, the one will make my life complete. And sometimes... It is just we are in search of happiness anywhere we can find it. A new hobby, a new trip, something else to purchase. I just want to find it. But at the end of the day, what Nicodemus saw was that a person that knows God is contagious. Because knowing God is meant to be the purpose of our lives. No other life purpose satisfies us. Because, honestly, we were not created for them. John chapter 3, we go back to verse 3, goes on, and Jesus answered him, and truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, recognize that he's talking about, as Jesus would later uh, talk to those who were accusing him, he's talking about a kingdom separate from this world. There is definite life in this world with Christ, and yet there is also a world outside of what you and I see, these chairs that we sit in, the cars we'll get in, the places we'll go this afternoon, the work that we'll do, the income we'll make, and how we will spend it, the lives that we live. There's a whole other world beyond that that many people will never see. Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. He's beginning to lay down why Nicodemus is so surprised at what Jesus is doing when he should have recognized and rejoiced as soon as he saw it. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the reason those of you who have become a Christian and you're the only one or one of the few in your family, this is the reason your family looks at you and thinks you're absolutely nuts. This is why they look at you weird. And whenever you begin to talk about stuff, they just kind of glaze over. Because knowing God is not something that we can have simply by reading a few Bible verses. We can't just take a course on how to know God. A person, when they're born of the Spirit, they are changed. They experience something different. And supernaturally, you truly are changed. We're going to get to that in just a minute. The thing that drives us here is this very thing. It's the knowledge that new life is available to anybody, anybody who truly will seek it. If a person is interested It is available to them. If someone is saying, God, I need you, it is available to them. A person who is in the midst of the deepest, darkest sins, it is available to them. That's what we believe here. And so when a person walks in the door and they don't look like your normal, everyday churchgoer, we hug them and welcome them because God gave his life for them. 
Every person that's available. And so whenever we talk about reaching outside of these walls, the reason we say that is not because we want you to bring them here and come to church. I don't care if they come here and come to church or not. That sounds bad. I do want them to come. What I want for them, though, is for them to know Christ. Now, wherever that leads them, that is the journey of a person following Jesus. That is not up to us to decide where God takes them. But we want them to know Christ. That is who we are as a people. And ultimately, that is what the church is supposed to be about, finding those who are lost and hurting and bringing them back. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Jesus reciting a prophecy, and we find it in Luke chapter 4, where he says, I have come for the brokenhearted. I have come for the captive. I have come for the oppressed. And we see it over and over and over in his encounters where the Pharisees would say, why are you hanging out with these people? Don't you understand how messed up they are? Jesus said, these are the ones I came for. That's why we go out. That's why we are here in this community. That's why we do some of the things we do, some of the music we do, some of the ways that we teach and the topics that we talk about is because we recognize that for some, the church subculture that has developed here in the last few decades has somehow masked the power of the gospel. And yet the gospel is so much stronger than that. So Jesus is literally telling Nicodemus, the reason that you do not recognize who I am is because you have yet to see what is truly spiritual. You have yet to see what is really happening in the world around you. You just see facts and you see interesting ideas, but you have not yet experienced a living God within your life. And he goes on to say it is confusing for those that don't know Christ, but yet it is still contagious. The thing that drives us is the knowledge that new life is available to those who seek it, and it can be found nowhere but in Christ. So when we have other priorities that take over our relationship with him, that's why our lives get confusing. When Christians are ready to give up and they're saying, God, why aren't you speaking to me? God, I'm not sure this is real. It's because we have taken other things and given them a place of prominence instead of God. When he's the only one that can hold that place, the only one that can bring that fulfillment, and he's the only one that can help us realize the reason we were created to begin with. You know, it's, it's hard to live in a role that you weren't created for. I haven't told this story in a while, but I remember one of the funny things that happened with me and Deidre over our marriage. I'm not going to tell you some of the embarrassing things. She'll probably tell you those. But I remember one time we were, we were in school, and we were poor as dirt, which we've been most of our lives. We were poor as dirt, and, but we had, a, we had a car that had some bells and whistles in it, one of them being power windows. Now, you can't buy a car now without power windows, I don't think. But back then, you can? A new one? Okay. Well, back then, that was a big feature, power windows and power locks. Now, we didn't have the key fobs. You know, it was, you still had to hit it in the door. But my power window went out. And if your power window ever goes out, that's okay unless the window's down. Because when the window's down and it begins to rain, it becomes a problem. And so I... Went to see how much it would be to fix my power window. Because at this point, I didn't care that I could push a button and went up and down. I just wanted it to be up and stay up. 
And so I went and they gave me the price, and this is how much the motor is going to be, and installation is going to be three times as much, and, and I left with my window down. <laughs> and so I decided, because I'm pretty handy, I'm going to do this myself. Anybody else done that? <laughs> I decided I did it myself. Now, here's a, here's a clue for you. It didn't happen to me, but I'm surprised it didn't. If you're not careful the window and you pick it up and then you drop it, it'll break your window. Then you're buying a new window, too. didn't happen to me, so I knew that. I need to prop my window up. I didn't want my window to fall and break. And so I didn't have anything to hold my window up. I'm sure there's a tool that you could go buy for a lot of money that made it absolutely perfect and make it work just ideally. But for me, I didn't have that. And so I went in the house and I looked around and I couldn't find anything to fix my window, but I did have a plunger. And so I took my plunger and I shoved it in the door to hold my window up. This is about the time it starts to rain. And Deidre comes out to help me, my loving wife who... It's being supportive. She holds an umbrella up, and I'm sitting here trying to install a motor, holding my window up with a plunger. And let me just tell you something. A plunger was never meant to hold a window up. So over and over, the window would fall, and I would prop it back up. And then I took the plunger off of the handle, and I just used the handle. And eventually, after a couple of hours out in the rain, the car was soaked, I was soaked, Deidre was soaked. We got it fixed, and I was thrilled. And I've never fixed another window again. I've never done it again. The truth is, if you're a man who likes to work with tools or a woman who likes to work with tools, you know that you need to have the right tool for the job. If you have the right tool for the job, you can get the job done. If you have the wrong tool, which is usually my case, I make something work. And it takes a lot longer, and it usually involves me calling somebody else to come fix what I've done. Whenever we try to function a role in which we were not created, We have a tendency to mess things up. Now, I would love for myself to be able to be this incredible person who does all these things that are just an incredible thing, and, and everyone looks at me and thinks, Mark is just, wow, if anyone could be the pinnacle of what a creation could be, it should be Mark. Didn't that be awesome? No one's ever said that to me, ever. I'm not made to be that. In fact, what we tend to joke about here is that we will often see the worst-case scenario happen. We'll have all kinds of crazy, terrible things happen. We'll do a baptism at the park in the middle of a downpour. You know, we do all kinds of crazy stuff. God never made me to be perfect. He never made me to be better than anybody else. He made me to be dependent upon Him. And it is only at the moment that I say I am dependent upon you that my life makes any sense at all. You know, the world doesn't value that. And this is the reason that Jesus says people, they're not going to understand when the Spirit is active within your life because for them, that's a failure. It's a failure to be dependent upon another person. If you're a woman, it's a failure to be dependent on another person. If you're a man, it's a failure to be dependent on another person. But for me, every time I've tried to do it myself, and I, and I have, within me, I have this huge independent streak. Whenever I was a kid, as soon as I'd get my allowance, I'd want to go buy my own toiletries and food and stuff. I mean, it wouldn't last long, let me tell you. I didn't have that big of an allowance. But I felt like I was providing for myself. I wasn't. I've always had that independent streak. I think the national average is that a child will move home five times as an adult. I've told my parents, I've got five owed me. (laughs) I'm so independent. And I will tell you, It is that independence 
that has caused me to struggle in my relationship with Christ more than anything else. I can do this. I've got this. I can handle this on my, I don't need anybody. And it's in those moments that I sacrifice my purpose, which is to know God and to be be dependent upon him to have my own glory because I did it all on my own. So that's often what happens to people like Nicodemus. They don't understand that whenever the Holy Spirit gets involved, whenever God is active in a relationship, the whole playing field changes. It changes. The world no longer exists the way it did in our minds before. Even what we see, we see differently. We see with eyes open, not with eyes closed or squinting. Everything changes. Because there is an entirely new world waiting for those who are born of the Spirit. If you want to read through Scripture and you want to know what happens when a person becomes a Christian, a lot of people think, well, I will not go to hell anymore. And to some level, that is true. But if that is the whole of what you believe happens by giving your life to Christ, I can imagine why so many people would call themselves a Christian and be totally inactive from the body of Christ. I've done it. I'm there. I've arrived. I don't need any of this other stuff. And yet amongst that group is a great feeling of emptiness and question, is God real? Does any of this matter? I mean, if he is, I guess I'm taken care of, but I, I don't really want to give him preeminence in my life. There's an entirely new world waiting for those. Scripture tells us that whenever you make a radical decision to die to yourself and to follow Christ, one of the things that's going to happen is you are going to be adopted into God's family. When you are adopted into God's family, this is the time that you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you, depending on where you come from, what your religious background is, there are different definitions of what people think being baptized by the Holy Spirit is. But literally, it simply means this. You are ushered through the Holy Spirit into God's family. Jesus said to his disciples, you will be my brothers and sisters. You are my family. Immediately, whether you feel alone or whether you feel that you have a family that understands you or that cares about you, you are immediately adopted into God's family. Once more, whenever you become a Christian, all of those sins that plague your mind, because when you become a Christian, you begin to remember more of them. They can tend to bother you more. All of those sins are no longer counted against you. This is where we see justification We are forgiven. It is where our salvation comes from. Our sins are not counted against us. Jesus took that from us. So you are washed clean of those sins, past, present, and future. I always hesitate to say that because there's always somebody who says, oh, well, if I become a Christian, he'll forgive me for all my sins, past, present, and future. Think of all the things I can do with no consequences. The truth is that a person who knows God does not want to live knowing that they can sin without consequence. Because at the moment that we understand that God is the most important thing in our lives, then we seek to praise and worship Him, to glorify Him with our bodies and with our decisions. Not to say that we all do it perfectly. Thankfully, God still forgives us even when we sin later 
But within our hearts, that is not something we desire to do. If you are at a place where you say, I'm saved, doesn't matter now, it's better to ask forgiveness and permission. Truth is, you may not know God because a heart that knows God that is baptized into His family, they do not seek to continue in the thing that causes destruction. Instead, we seek what honors and glorifies Him. In addition to our sins not being counted against us, the Holy Spirit begins to shape your life. That means that today I am not the same person of the day that I became a Christian. Some parts of me are the same, but much of me has changed. The Holy Spirit is not content for you to say, okay, Mark's got it. He's in. All right, move on to the next one. But instead, he continues to shape our lives, to move us, to change us, changes the way we think, changes the priorities of our hearts, which therefore changes where we spend our time and our resources. It changes us. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to come in and unlock that which we were created for, then we realize we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. We are a part of something that matters. We are part of something that has purpose. We are part of something that is eternal and not temporary. And so the Holy Spirit begins to shape us. Jesus said when he was about to leave, one of his final conversations with his disciples, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I go, I'm going to send another like me, is how that should be translated. I'm going to send another like me, a helper, the Holy Spirit. Which means that when you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins changing you inside. The Holy Spirit begins praying for you, Scripture tells us. At times, especially when you and I do not even know how to pray for ourselves. The Holy Spirit comforts us when we need comfort. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and discernment when we need it. The Holy Spirit does all kinds of incredible things, including giving you a spiritual gift so that you can perform a supernatural act in the natural world to build up the church, and to reach those who don't know Christ. That's all happening when you become a Christian. Now, a lot of times, we don't think about what is spiritually happening within me. How am I changing? I'm I'm becoming literally a new creation. Instead, we think about, well, I'm out of hell. And depending on the church you go to, you're supposed to be baptized, which we baptize here. Baptism, water baptism, what we do when we baptize is meant to symbolize the decision, not seal it. It's meant to show the, the, other, the rest of the body what you have decided. I am dying to myself is when we dunk you and we hold you under. And that amount of time depends on who you are and your personality. We hold some under longer than others. But we always bring you back up, right? But going under the water represents the old life, the natural life, the life there. I was the one who was preeminent. It's dead. It's gone. It's over. And then when we come out of the water, it symbolizes we have a new life now. We are completely new. That would be wonderful if that meant like buying a car. I took my old beat up, wore out car traded it in, I got a brand new spick and span car, and now the window goes up and down whenever I want it to. I don't have any of the knocking, or I don't have any of the seats torn, I don't have any of the problems that my old car had. I got a new car. It'd be nice if that's the way this new life in Christ worked. Uh, 
I don't struggle with any things I struggled with before. I don't deal with loneliness or depression anymore. I don't deal with independence being the most important thing in my life anymore. Now I just honor and glorify Jesus in every single thing I do every moment of my life. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? I don't know anyone who's ever experienced that. The new creation is not one that says, I'm going to absolutely remove the need for you to work on this. But instead, he says, I'm going to help you do the work with you. We're going to change your life together. There's not a whole lot I can do to add to God's creation, add to God's work. I I can't do what he can do. But one thing I can do is submit and let him take over. I can say, God, this is not what I want, but this is what you say you want. I don't understand, so I will submit to what you say you want. God, I really want to spend my time doing something else, and I know that's not what you want me spending my time doing, but okay, I'm going to submit and spend the time, my time where you want me to. Same with our finances, same with our gifts. God, I'm going to submit because you are worthy to be glorified. You are worthy to be king. You are the creator of the world. You are my Messiah and my Savior. See, all those things change within us. And they may not change overnight. I remember when I became a Christian, I was at a youth camp and I, had a, I got a track at that youth camp because I made a decision and I read all the things that I was supposed to start doing now that I'm a Christian, which is really not a good way to express new life in Christ, but it was what it was. And it was a stair step, and one of the things was I need to start reading my Bible, I need to start going to church, I need to start tithing, and, and I went on up the stairs to get to the top, and you need to share your faith with somebody else, and I wasn't comfortable with that. You know, a person that knows Christ, is tip, when they first come to know Christ, is typically the most successful person to lead others to Christ because it's real and it's exciting for them. And so when they go out, they may not have all the theological terms, they may not know all the, the, quest, the answers to all the questions, but what they do have is excitement about what God has done in their life. It is the most powerful thing to lead a person to Christ, letting them see a changed life. Nicodemus had never seen this. He had never seen a changed life. He knew the law. He knew all the things you were supposed to do, but he had never experienced this. If we pick back up in John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He still didn't get it. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Warning, you can know a whole lot of Bible and know nothing about God, just as Nicodemus did. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The truth is there is an eternal difference between knowing the truth and accepting it. I knew the truth a long time before I accepted it. Accepting it was a a moment of repentance for me. Accepting it for me was a submission for me. Accepting it was for me to say, God, I give up. God did not ask me to leave that group, but my role in that group of friends in high school changed. 
And as a result, some of the friendships ended. But I was changed. And I could no longer live the way I was living. I had seen the truth. I had accepted the truth. But it came at at the cost of me having to give up my own tenacious grip on what I thought my life should be. Instead saying, God, what you want my life to be, that is what it needs to be. Where you want me to go, that is where I need to go. What I need to sacrifice, that is what I need to sacrifice. And what I need to give of myself, that is what I need to give, even if I feel I have nothing left after. Because you have told me to pick up my cross and follow you. And the moment that I knew Jesus Christ was real and that he was in my life, there was nothing that I had that was better than that. If you know Jesus, you know this to be true. There is a difference between knowing the truth and accepting it. Matthew 16, 24 says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is a, this is a hard verse. These are one of the ones that unless you're living in this life, you may not understand. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. I never understood that for a long time. What do you mean? I have to I have to lose my life to find it? It doesn't mean my heart has to stop beating and I have to get a new heart. What it means is I have to stop pursuing the things I want to pursue. And I need to start pursuing him. Him, his person, his priorities, his goals, his teachings, what he wants for my life. And there are times, until I understand what he's doing, there are times that I want control again. Because I don't see what he's doing. You may be in a place right now, God is doing something miraculous in your life, and you don't understand it, and you may hate it. If you haven't experienced that, you will at some point in your life. You will go through some level of suffering, some level of struggle. You will go through a heartache that you cannot put a thumb on. And you will say, God, this is not the way this is supposed to be. And yet when we submit to him, he says, yes, this is the way I am changing you. Because remember, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit begins to change you. And if the Holy Spirit could do that without you ever noticing, you never would have needed the Holy Spirit to begin with. But when he begins to change us, sometimes he has to rip from our hands the things we have held so tightly so that we can experience something even greater. That is what he wants us to experience. How do we give up that thing that was already not worth keeping for something that is better? There are so many times you and I will keep what is familiar instead of what is better. I went hiking one year with my brother-in-law. We went in my hiking boots that I had had for years. They were good hiking boots. I, they cost a lot, and I don't, I don't spend a lot on much. And they cost a lot, <clears throat> and, uh, and, and they got me through lots and lots of hikes all over the United States. I love those boots. Uh, I had, they had so many memories, and if you, are, if you like sports or outdoors or something, you know, you form a relationship with your equipment that's just not right. It's just not supposed to be, but that's what happens. My boots were awesome. I loved my boots. They were the kind of boots that I could walk no matter where 
how high or how low or how fast or how slow, and I never got blisters. I loved my boots. And yet, as I was walking, my old boots decided they had had enough, and my soles began to peel away. So we were, we were about 10 miles from hiking out, and my, both of my soles pulled off of my boots. And so my brother-in-law and I, we sat there, and he laughed for a while. I didn't laugh. He laughed. And I sat there just looking at my feet, thinking, there's no way I can make it. I didn't bring another pair of shoes. I, there's no way. And so I got my knife out. We got some cord out we had, and I tried to, you know, tie my soul back on. It didn't work. You can't, you can't put holes through vibram soles, apparently. And so we had a little bit of tape, and we taped up a little bit, and I basically had boot flip-flops the rest of the way down. I got it around the toe, but the back just flopped. When I got back down, <clears throat> my boots were utterly ruined, but these were the boots I had so many memories in. So friends of mine got together, and, and I was a young pastor, and again, we were, we were dirt poor. And they got together, they bought me a new pair of boots. Now, I had a couple of options here. I could have said, thanks, but no thanks. These are my boots. I've been, you don't know what I've been through with these. I could, have hang, I could have hung on to them. I could have kept them. I could have, you know, figured out how to tape them up. I probably could have sent them back into the manufacturer and had them glued back on. I, there's any number of things I could have done. These are my boots. I were comfortable. I love these things. Or I could have taken this brand new pair of boots that someone had given me. Oftentimes in our life with Christ, even when our lives are messed up, we hold on to them. Even when they're broken and torn apart and clearly failing us, they're comfortable and they're familiar. We have memory. We have mileage with them. And I want to keep that, and I don't want to give it up. And God is saying, but I have something better for you, a gift. All you have to do is submit to receive them. And it is that word that keeps most people from knowing Christ, unfortunately. I can't submit. It's my life. Some of you have been through hard circumstances and you learned along the way you could depend on nobody but yourself, and that is keeping you from knowing Christ. Being the body means that we give up to receive something more. We become an extension of who He is. We are the body of Christ. We are not just a person who's receiving salvation. We become a part of the family. Going back to John 3 to finish up the story with Nicodemus, verse 13 says, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven. In other words, no one can know God but Jesus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And then we get to our most well-known verse of Scripture probably. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There is none more powerful than God, and he is offering his power to us through Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can get to heaven, and yet he's giving that to us. He's the only one who can have a relationship with God, and he's giving that to us. He's the only one that can save us from our tight grip on all the things that are destroying us. But we have to give our lives to Christ. It goes beyond worship. We all worship something. It's not just when we come here. Being the body does not mean that we fill up these seats every week and go, man, we are the body. Because we could fill up this room with a lot of Nicodemuses. 
that come and hear the songs and sing the songs, but they don't know the Savior, the one the songs are about. So being the body means more than just what we worship. It means more than just the activities that we do. True worship is not what we do here. You maybe think, well, then why did we come? See, true worship is not in what comes out of our mouths. True worship is what we do with our lives. It's being satisfied in Jesus Christ, and it's coveting Him as the greatest gift we've ever received. Worship is an activity, but it's not the only purpose of the body. In Ephesians 4, it says this about the body. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love this passage. You know, what it, you know why? Because I don't have to do it on my own. I've already told you I struggle with trying to do that already. But along with me trying to do it on my own, I have failed more times than I have succeeded. You don't have to do it on your own. Being a member of the body means that we are each a part. We each have a role to play, and the Holy Spirit empowers you to play that role. The body becomes not just one person or one church or one idea, but the body becomes the multitude of those who know Christ. The multitude of the parts coming together to do something amazing because being the body requires us to be the physical presence of Christ in this world. And we cannot be the physical presence of Christ in this world only sitting in these seats. We have to go beyond. For me, recognizing this is my role, not that I can emulate the goodness of Christ, not that I can live a life without sin or hardship or without causing pain on myself or others. For me, I recognize Jesus is the most important thing in my life, and I hope that you have done that as well. My purpose in this world is not for me to get everything I can out of it, a good job, a good career, being able to go on nice vacations, being able to retire early and retire with a great, you know, outlook for all the great things we'll do around the world whenever we retire. That is not why I exist. I exist to worship and glorify Him with other believers like me. That's what I exist for. That's what you exist for. But not everybody finds that. Not everybody experiences it. Here's what I want to leave you with. We're going to cover different aspects of what does it mean to be a part of the body over the next few weeks. But I, these are the things I want you to know after today. I, I, hope, I hope you've experienced him like I have, and if you haven't, you can. That even though in your failures and even when life doesn't work out the way that you want it to, God is still there and you are a part of his family. He is still working through you and is likely working through all those circumstances that you wish would go away to make you into something new, make you into something better. Here's what I want to leave you with. How we function as the body will determine if some hear the gospel. If you and I do not function the way we're designed, some people are not going to hear the gospel, bottom line. Now, some of you may have a theological difference for this. You may say, well, God will find a way. Well, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? 
What if someone needs us to work together as the body of Christ? We need to look at the way we spend our time and our resources and say, how can we share this with more people? How we work together. You know as well as I do, if I go out and and I take a part out of my lawnmower, it's probably not going to work. We take a part out of the body of Christ that God meant to be there. It's not going to work the way it's supposed to. How we function as a body will determine if someone will hear the gospel. And more importantly, how we function will determine if we have fully experienced the work of Christ in our lives. So how do we live out our role in the body? There are lots of things I could say here. I'm only going to say three today. The body knows three things. Once we recognize that our life is in Him, and once we recognize I'm no important than anybody else, we are all here to honor and glorify Him. I'm here to do my part along with everybody else, <clears throat> and I'm here to experience Christ. We find three key ideas when we embrace the belief that the body of Christ is something that's real. Number one, no one can do it alone. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. The most talented person on the planet can't do it alone. Even Billy Graham, who we've held up as the pinnacle of Christian experience for decades, he never did it alone. He had a whole list of people. Amazingly, if any of you have met Glenn, who shares an office right down the road, he's led worship with Billy Graham. Billy Graham had other people around him. He was a part. He was a very visible part. He was a part of the body. We all have a role to play. No one can do it alone. Number two, every person has a God-ordained part to play. And I say God-ordained because God intended this for you when you were born. The more we run from it, the more frustration we experience. And number three, our greatest purpose is to glorify Christ and to make Him known among the broken and the hurting. We do lots of things as the body. We do a lot of things in the realm of discipleship. However, what he continually told his disciples to go and do over and over and over again was to reach to more people and to go to those who were hurting and broken, those who were the outcasts from society. That's what we do when we're the body. So my question I leave with you, and I recognize perhaps this is an incomplete question right now as we continue to go through this for some of you. Will you join us in being the body today? I hope so. Some of you guys are you're a lot more attractive body parts than I am. If God can use me, he can use anybody. Some of you are a lot better spoken than me. And God intends to use that. Some of you are able to build relationships with people at an alarming rate. And that is not me. You, you know, many of you who have been here for a while know Malia, who has entered into our family in the last few weeks. Malia is 100% different from 100% of the people in our family. And I don't mean because she's black. I mean her personality. Her personality is amazing. She goes out and makes a friend everywhere she goes. I, you know, I walk around and, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me. She walks right up, what's your name? And folks, we live in a part of the city that's not exactly diverse. And she walks up to some guys, and I'm like, Malia, come on now, come on, come on, let's go over here. What's your name? And they line up, and they talk, 
and they open up. And I'm like, this, is, this, is, um, this, is, this would go viral if I had video of this right now. She has that gift. Her role, if she chooses when she's old enough to follow Christ, one of her roles is going to be to bring people together in a way that some of us aren't able to do. Your role, you may not know what it is, but you have one. God has given it to you. And whenever you begin to live in that, you will find that life begins to make sense. Life is full. Life is good. And the things that you have tried so hard to hold on to to make life the way you always wanted it to be won't matter anymore because having Christ is so much better. Will you join us in being the body this year? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for what you've done in our lives. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you that I did not have to get cleaned up and perfect to know you. And God, I thank you that you are patient and still working in my life after all these years. Lord, I thank you for the examples we have in this room of those who have submitted. They have repented and they have given their hearts to you. And it is just a joy to watch you continue to work in us I pray that you would help us to build these relationships with those that don't know you, those that are broken, those that are hurting, that we would experience what it means to truly be the physical representation of you in this world. I thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you that we did not earn it, but you gave it to us as a gift. Father, help us to see this world differently. Help us to operate in this world differently. Help us to give you our hearts so that we can be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.